Good morning to our loyal WFYL listeners around the world. Welcome back to your Philadelphia Friday, only on Fox News Radio. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in once again, because you still have the right to hear and the right to be heard. We're here with you on 1180 AM and broadcasting real time at 1180WFYL.com. Coming to you straight from the birthplace of liberty here in the greater Philadelphia area. And we continue to fight day in and day out as your voice of freedom in the Delaware Valley. I'm attorney Mike Giremita from Giremita Law Offices, but everybody knows me as Mike G., And you're listening to Mike G. in the morning with The Law Matters. And you can listen to our program every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. So let's be heard. I want to remind our listeners that today's episode of Mike G. in the morning is brought to you by Elite Tactical Armory. Your off-site firearm storage solution in the Lehigh Valley. Elite Tactical Armory is a commercial armory where you can rent secure storage for your firearms. You can use their facilities for any reason you'd need to store firearms outside of your home. Whether it's because you're traveling out of town or you're dealing with false accusations, you've got legal problems, or you've just run out of room for all your precious babies... Elite Tactical Armory is the storage solution for you. You can find out more about Elite Tactical Armory at EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. That's EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. Because it's important to support those who support freedom. And be sure and tell them... Mike G sent ya. <laughs> you know, a little bird told me they've got some handgun ammunition in stock as well. Nine millimeter, 40, 45, 38 special. Might want to check it out. Good as gold these days. So we've got a very special episode in the store for you today. As usual, I've got Philly Chris with me. Philly Chris, you with us? Good morning, everyone. And we've got... This program's senior historian and political analyst, Michael Moore. Now, Michael Moore has done an excellent job going back and evaluating the history of Supreme Court nominations and the year of a presidential election. And this is something where you hear a lot of people have different things to say about it. So we figured, why not get down to business? Let's talk to the expert. And figure out what's really going on here. Michael, are you with us? I am. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us once again. You know, this is an issue that uh, all of a sudden everybody seems to be an expert on it. Right, Mike? (laughs) It certainly seems that way. (laughs) But you've actually gone in and you've done the research. You've done the homework. And I imagine it wasn't easy, was it? No, it was actually quite time-consuming. Uh, doing the real historical research and compiling that data uh, was quite time-consuming, actually. But I think it's important, uh, you know, to be able to actually know the truth. You know, when I undertook the task, 
Uh, it wasn't with any type of a partisan agenda in mind. I was going to examine the data, and wherever the data led, that was the conclusion I was going to draw. Uh, unlike so many who just have, you know, a, a decidedly slanted agenda, my agenda was simply to find the truth. Well, when you're doing it that way, and you're really looking at uh, every situation where this has come up, it's kind of hard to have some kind of agenda, isn't it? If you if you're really only looking at what happened, when, where, and things of that nature. It is. And so, you know, what we do is we, we look back uh, to primary source data and, and sites that are websites, especially uh, archival websites that are just of factual nature. I, I didn't need anyone to opine on situations or anything of that nature. I just needed to know, you know, the basic facts. And then, you know, we can look at those facts and draw our own conclusions. But that seems to be what everybody else is doing these days is they, they're bringing in their own opinions. They've got some kind of story or anecdote to go along with it instead of just taking a look hold on a second what really happened here what do we know and what conclusion can we draw from that i think that's exactly right and the other thing is that even if you do the research it's easy to be able to manipulate statistics uh in any way that you want uh, in addition to my mm background as an historian, I also have a strong math background. So, you know, I could take this data and, you know, by just changing the way we word titles to certain things, we could basically make the data say whatever we want to support whatever our viewpoint is. And again, that wasn't my agenda. I simply wanted to find out what the real truth was and be able to present that without any type of a partisan slant. So, Mike, what we want to do on this program, what we typically aim to do is we don't want to be talking out of our armpits. And uh, <laughs> armpit's a good substitute word. We can say it on the air. We could have some fun. Let's start that one kind of like bowl of mustard. What do you say, Billy Chris? We don't want to talk out of our armpits. Everybody else seems to be talking out of their armpits with this. Yeah, one. I, you I know, onto something. I think we do that almost all the time, though. Is talking <laughs> talking out there wherever. <laughs> There's plenty of armpit talking on the other stations, so right. you can go find that somewhere else. So, Mike, uh, right. what, when you took a look at all this stuff, what is it that you found? So what I found to be interesting is that um, oftentimes, regardless of whether or not uh, the White House and the Senate are controlled by the same party, uh, election year Supreme Court nominations are generally confirmed at a higher rate uh, than they are uh, not confirmed. And there can be a variety of reasons there. Um, the, the pick, the nominee could be withdrawn. They could actually be rejected by the Senate or, you know, in the case um, of 2016, the, the Senate took no action on President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court. So there's a variety of reasons that a nominee may not be um, confirmed. And essentially they all wind up at the same place, but, there are a few different avenues uh, by which to get there. So how many times has this happened in total? Uh, I know that you said you laid out all the numbers and everything like that. Uh, was there, was there anything that stood out to you about, you know, the frequency of this or anything like that? Yeah. So the number is close to 30. I've heard a lot of uh, people saying uh, within the media that it was 29. Uh, I can see how you could get to that. I could see how you get to 30. I could see how you could get to 31. And again, this is what I mean uh, when I say we can, you know, sort of cook the numbers in any way that we want. So, you know, uh, what are we going to include? So are we going to include uh, seats that open up 
during the calendar year of the election, so starting January 1, are we going to include seats that open up in the prior year, but the vacancies aren't filled until the election year? Are we going to include vacancies that come up after the election, uh, sort of in a potentially lame duck situation? So depending on how you define that, uh, you may come up with some different numbers based on what your parameters are. So, you know, for me, what I looked at were any openings uh, that were available during the election year. So even if the uh, the opening had come up in the prior year, but the seat was still open during the election year, I included that. And then I also included um, any seats that came open or any nominations that were made um, after the election. So in that lamb duck time, you know, uh, between the election and then the inauguration of the, the next president. And when you had uh, a Senate who was on the same page as the president, uh, did they all go through or did any of those get held up? What I found particularly interesting um, was President John Tyler. Uh, John Tyler <clears throat> excuse me, had uh, a couple openings on the Supreme Court and uh, his party, the Whig Party, uh, was in control, obviously, of the presidency. It was also in control of the Senate. So there were two openings and Tyler appointed I should say, nominated uh, a couple of justices. They were rejected. And he actually kept um, nominating the same people several times. It was you know, wow. kind of like the definition of insanity in terms of <laughs> continuing to do the same thing time after time and expecting different results. So that was an interesting one. But then again, they also frequently refer to Tyler uh, as the president who was without a party. Uh, during his presidency, you know, obviously he came to power after uh, the president had passed away. So he was the vice president and then ascended to the presidency. And basically he didn't have much support within Congress uh, after he became president. So that's an interesting one where you had um, uh, both parties in control of both branches and, and nothing happened there. So I found that one to be interesting. Um, there was also one. Uh, right before uh, the Civil War, you know, we know that Abraham gets Abraham Lincoln gets elected uh, in the election of 1860. So he doesn't actually take office until 61. Uh, during uh, the lame duck sec- session of James P. Cannon's presidency, he nominates uh, Jeremiah Black to the court, uh, who is not confirmed, despite the fact that Buchanan was a Democrat and the Senate was controlled by a Democrat. So, you know, we, we certainly see those types of things. Um, but they're, I, I would say that they're definitely the exception uh, to the rule. And then we also see it again um, in uh, 1968 with Lyndon Johnson. Uh, Johnson, obviously, the Democrat who takes over after John F. Kennedy is killed. Uh, Johnson's a Democrat. The Democrats also control the Senate. Um, he attempts to nominate um, Justice uh, what would have been Justice Abe Fortas, uh, he was already on the court. They attempted to elevate him to chief justice uh, upon the conditional retirement of Justice Warren, who we all know is a very famous chief justice in the Supreme Court. Uh, so the plan was to shift Fortas from an associate justice role to the chief justice role and then uh, replace uh, Fortas's seat uh, as an associate justice with Homer Thornberry. Uh, and the Democratic Senate did not allow that to happen either. The Senate actually filibustered uh, both nominations. 
Wow, that's a little bit of a different angle there. Now, I got to ask this because we heard this in the vice presidential debates. We heard this story from Kamala Harris about how Abraham Lincoln had the opportunity to nominate a justice before the election. And he said, no, 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 I'm honest, Abe, and it ain't the right thing to do. (laughs) Is that true? <laughs> no, no. Uh, if we were rating her with Pinocchios, that might be a four star or four Pinocchio type response there. Right? <laughs> um, the, the reality is uh, that Justice Roger Taney dies in October of 64, 1864. Uh, and obviously Lincoln is up for reelection in 64. He's elected in 16, then reelected in 64. Uh, and of course, is assassinated in 65. But um, so Chief Justice Taney dies in October of 64, right before the election. Um, But at that time, the Senate was actually not in session. And we have to remember back that at that time, it wasn't like the senators could quickly jump on a plane and get back to Washington. Uh, You know, it was it was the horse and buggy day. So, I mean, I guess no matter how fast your horse was, it was going to take a little while to get back. So Lincoln didn't nominate anyone uh, because the Senate wasn't in session. However, uh, I think what's interesting is that when the Senate comes back in session, uh, Lincoln nominates Sam and Chase December 6th. And then I, I saw a couple of different things on this. So in the interest of uh, of being uh, totally honest, uh, I saw some sites that said that Chase was actually confirmed the exact same day that the Senate came back in session on December 6th. And then I saw some sites that said that he was actually confirmed the next day, uh, December 7th. So regardless, it was a very quick confirmation. I, I find it interesting that uh, currently uh, the, the Democratic Party uh, in our Senate in the modern day society here is complaining about how quickly this is uh, getting rushed through yet. Uh, there was very frequently um, early on, it wasn't uncommon for justices to be uh, appointed and confirmed within a month, or in this case, within you know a day. So I, I think those those complaints about uh, how quickly this is being fast tracked might not necessarily uh, hold a lot of water historically. It's been, they, they basically did it. Uh, to a degree based on qualification like it's supposed to be, right? It's like, okay, this guy's not a total idiot. He's not a total nut job. Uh, he seems like he could get the job done. Not You don't line up with every single political ideal that we could possibly imagine, right? Right. right. And I don't think that that's what the founders intended in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, we don't expect the Supreme Court to act as a legislative body. Uh, well, when you them. say we don't, do you mean the people on the right and the people who believe in the Constitution? Uh, who do you mean when you yeah. say we? Because I think that there are yeah, those, quite a few people the... who not only expect it, but they, uh, you know, they demand it. I'm kind of hoping they yeah. packed it for it, too. Yeah, those, those, those constitutionalists, those are the nut jobs to whom I'm referring. We don't expect them, uh, you know, to have the Supreme Court act as a legislative body. I know that's, I know that's insane. I'm sure most of your listeners are probably stunned to hear that we don't want to see that happen. Right? Um, but, but frankly, I, I think the founding fathers would be turning over in their graves at, at the fact uh, that they see this so as so much of a political appointment. Um, you know, I think uh, as constitutionalists, I know I would classify myself as such. And, and Mike, I think I could uh, go out on a limb here and say that you might classify yourself the same way. You know, all we want is someone who's going to be able to look at the law, 
and, and give us an interpretation following the text of the law and, you know, any potential uh, outside information that's available regarding what the original intent uh, of that law was when it was written. And especially, of course, we look at this so frequently through the lens of the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, and those types of things, you know, I know so many on the left think that it's just crazy that we have such reverence for a document that's, you know, 250 years old. Right. Uh, what are those breathing document? Yeah, we got we to just make it whatever we feel like. Whatever we think is a good idea at the time takes a priority over that 200 year old document. I thought they were too old, Mike. Uh, that's right. Yeah, they're too old. <laughs> they, they expired, right? This Constitution expired. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, Mike, yeah, I want to. That doesn't apply anymore. That doesn't apply anymore, Mike. I want to get back to this. So, when we're talking about these nominations. It sounds like it's fair to say that when the president and the Senate were of the same party, overwhelming majority of the time, uh, it, these nominations would go through, even in an election year, right? Yeah, and actually, to, to even take that a step further, even a lot of the nominations um, that were within uh, the context of divided control of the White House right. and the Senate also went through. Um, now, of course, there were some people, you know, who they found to be, you know, unqualified or, you know, whatever the decision was that they may have reached. So for some reasons, they, you know, they, they would not confirm a few people, but by and large, um, those confirmations did take place even within the context of an election year. So, you know, in the interest of honesty, you know, while, while most of us are definitely on the conservative side, and I think on a personal level, you know, we may have been cheering uh, that Merrick Garland was not um, confirmed as a Supreme court justice. Uh, that really, it wasn't without precedent, but I think it was a little bit of a stretch to say that that was keeping with, you know, ancient traditions uh, within the Supreme Court nomination process. You know, sometimes when we talk about this stuff, we sort of get into pre-Civil War, post-Civil War, and of course, talking about Abraham Lincoln. How many times since the Civil War have we seen vacancies during an election year? So there have been a 16 election year vacancies since the Civil War. And of those 16, only two were not filled by the president that was sitting during that election year. Um, and those ones uh, were the, the case that I mentioned with Lyndon Johnson, with uh, Judges Justice Fortas uh, and Judge Thornberry. But that was really to only fill one seat uh, as Earl Warren was leaving the court. So one opening there, although, you know, two people involved. Um, and then um, with uh, respect to Ronald Reagan's appointment, uh, when Justice Powell leaves the court, Reagan appoints, uh, nominates uh, Robert Bork. We, we know that Robert Bork is, is not confirmed, but Justice Anthony Kennedy is confirmed. So we don't really count that one because Reagan still did get uh, an appointee to the court there. Uh, and then, of course, the, the second one that, that really fits the mold uh, is what happened uh, with Judge Garland in 2016. No one is appointed uh, and confirmed to fill the seat belonging to the the late great Justice Scalia until, of course, President Trump takes office and, and he's able to nominate and get confirmed uh, Justice Gorsuch. 
this is uh, Sammy the Socialist. I just uh, hacked in through the board. Hi, guys. You know, Mike, I was just curious. I had a brief question about all your facts here because the way I look at this whole situation is your facts really don't matter because the last justice basically said that uh, she would prefer that the next president uh, do it. And I'm sure that's a, there's a lot of history to support that. So it doesn't really matter what you've done, uh, all that great work and effort, right? Isn't that true, Mike G? <laughs> show, right? No, yeah. Uh, that, that totally marginalizes all of the research and all of the precedent. Uh, just the fact that one justice made that her dying wish, I think we should throw away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think this is your show anyway. I think, you know, you just do what we want because we're going to win and you guys are our horrible people. So just take that, take your facts and, and speak out of your armpits with that. Please. I mean, that, that <laughs> did anybody find that dying wish to be a little suspect anyhow? I, I don't know. It just well, seems like, well, what's know, that, Grandma? You want me to have all that, the money? Is that hearsay or is it written down somewhere? You, like, what's you want me to have on? the and beach house, Grandma? Yeah, is that yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing that I found so curious, whether agreed or, or disagreed with Justice Ginsburg's uh, judicial philosophy, I don't think anybody could argue the fact that she was a really, really, really smart lady who was highly articulate. Uh, and, you know, what made me think that that didn't pass the smell test right away was I think had she actually said something like that, uh, it would have been worded better, you know, at least until after the election, not not the thing about until the next the new president. president. Yeah, unless, yeah. Unless, <laughs> unless maybe on her deathbed, she was given some type of uh, knowledge of which we are not yet aware about becoming well, I, I saw quotes. I, I saw some quotes on one of those other big networks, so I'm pretty sure she'd said it better than that based on the quotes that I don't remember. <laughs> Well, you know, here's one of the things, though, but, the, but different. You're saying how the Garland situation really isn't the any by any stretch of the imagination, some kind of uh, solid tradition or anything like that. But uh, what it may come from, you know, Biden was giving a speech during uh, George H.W. Bush's presidency when coming up on potentially having Clinton elected and was talking about a hypothetical if someone were to step down or retire or there were to be a vacancy saying that it shouldn't be filled until after the election. So that's why they called it the Biden rule. It really isn't a rule or anything and didn't even really happen in a situation that it mattered. But he did make this speech re referring to that, didn't he, Mike? Yeah, I, I did hear something about that. I'm not actually familiar with that exact circumstance, but uh, I had heard something to that effect. That wasn't something that I dug into in any great depth. But, you know, the one thing that, that I do think is, is the overwhelming theme with all of this is just the total hypocrisy on both sides. And, and again, mm -hmm. we're not pushing a political agenda or ideology here. It's just shocking to me how much hypocrisy there is on both sides. And, and frankly, I think that's one of the reasons that people get uh, – so disgusted with politics. Now, granted, in, in this particular circumstance, you know, on a personal level, I was glad to see, you know, conservative justices appointed to the Supreme Court who will, you know, uphold the Constitution as it was written, not how we think it should have been written, you know, given 250 years of hindsight. Um, but, you know, on a personal level, you know, something that I'm grateful for, but, you know, the reality is that there's just so much hypocrisy on both sides, and, and it's not surprising why people are so disgusted with the current political climate in the nation. But there is a lot of people going out there putting out false information uh, regarding uh, whether Trump should do this. For example, 
I heard somebody say in an interview very recently, you know, Trump should should have done the right thing and not nominated somebody like Obama did in that situation, which is obviously not true. Uh, Obama did nominate somebody and hasn't every president at least nominated under the circumstances? Yeah, I could not find one single case when a Supreme Court vacancy existed during an election year and the sitting president did not nominate a replacement to the court. So, so whether or not whether or not they got confirmed, everybody is nominating. So can't blame it on Trump. And the one thing that I find so fascinating is you hear, especially during these confirmation hearings, they ask these pointed questions where they're really just trying to, you know, put out their narrative. And they constantly talk about the will of the people and the election. And they act like the officials that are in now weren't elected. And they just like showed up somehow. (laughs) And they took over. They took everybody hostage. They took over by force. They weren't put into office to do this in the first place, right? Uh, Those elections didn't count. And that's the one thing that that I think uh, lends itself to some hypocrisies. You know, with the the Judge Garland situation, um, had Senator McConnell just come out and said, we just won the midterm election. The American people have clearly given us a mandate that they want to stop the agenda of the current president. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I don't think that you would have much of a leg to stand on arguing Against that, yeah, you could argue, you know, precedent and things like that. But I think that would have been a compelling argument and just, you know, held the hearings and just rejected the nomination. Um, That is certainly not without precedent, especially in cases where the White House and the Senate are controlled by different parties. Uh, And I think that that would have gone a long way toward uh, minimizing the amount of ammunition that the Democratic Party currently has to use uh, against Judge Barrett. Well, fascinating stuff as always, Mike. Uh, we really appreciate all the, the the research that you've done, the deep dive that you've done into the numbers and and all the facts and the history. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Any parting words for our audience? Regardless of what which side of the aisle that you sit on, uh, just make sure you get out and vote in the upcoming election. Uh, and, and make sure you support the candidate that uh, that supports your views and values. No, don't say that. If you're a Democrat, stay home. Come on, Mike. <laughs> if you're a Democrat, the election's on Wednesday. <laughs> I already mailed That's in my right. vote Absolutely. six times, so I'm good. Well, isn't that the Democratic motto is vote early and vote often? Right. Uh, that's right. All right, Mike. Thank you so much. Uh, we hope to have you back on the program soon. Of course, guys. Take care. Have a good day. Have a good one. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with the Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. You know, we've got a lot more to talk about today, but before we get into it, quick word from our sponsor. Mike G from Mike G in the morning here. I want to tell you a little bit about Elite Tactical Armory, your firearm storage solution in the Lehigh Valley. Elite Tactical Armory is a commercial armory where you can rent secure storage for your firearms. You can find out more information about Elite Tactical Armory at EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. Don't forget to check out Elite Tactical Armory for your firearm storage solutions. 
For more information, visit EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. That's EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. Another thanks to our sponsors. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. You know, we've heard some wild things going on at these confirmation hearings. As a matter of fact, we've got a clip. Russ, why don't you pull that up? As part of my responsibility as a member of this committee, and indeed all of the committees on which I sit, uh, to ensure the fitness of nominees for a lifetime appointment to the federal bench or to any of the other uh, positions uh, for any of the committees on which they appear, uh, I ask each nominee these two questions, and I will ask them of you. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? No, Senator. What kind of armpit questions are those? <laughs> really? You got a hey, Philly yeah. Chris. The, yeah. It, have you ever broken a nun's legs with a baseball bat and then <laughs> poked their eyes out with toothpicks? Have you ever done that, Philly Chris? Uh, you know, I, I can't really talk about that on the air right now. I have to talk to my attorney first. But uh, but I heard Russ did some stuff like that. Russ, didn't you one time take a cat and it was running across the road and, and you uh, didn't do anything about it? <laughs> sure. Uh, Philly Chris, I heard that uh, one time you took your mom and tied her arms and her legs together and, and laid her down in traffic. And yeah, <laughs> that's actually true. Sorry, I have to admit that. In, in the, the middle question, of the night, I, yeah, yeah. I heard that you took an infant child, <laughs> smothered it in duck sauce, and put it out in, in the woods where bears were known to travel. Isn't that true? Isn't well, that I mean, really Chris? Didn't you do that? Who doesn't do these things, right? I mean, everybody has done that, right? Uh, right? Uh, Billy, Chris, have you ever drowned a child at any point in your life? Maybe? Maybe, maybe <laughs> ever, ever have a civil lawsuit settled for drowning children? I was a lifeguard. Maybe. I was a lifeguard once. <laughs> Have you ever robbed a bank? Do your parents know you robbed a bank? <laughs> when was the last time you were charged for robbing a bank? What, hey, what, Russ, what is Russ, this? Didn't you duplicate uh, uh, Hunter Biden's uh, laptop uh, hard drive recently or something? <laughs> well, Wasn't that you? That, that would, would that be a bad thing? I mean, I thought, we're talking, <laughs> I thought we were talking about oh, bad wait, things. That's, that's, that's questions. That <laughs> but, but seriously, you see what they're doing here? They, they just ask questions. And uh, I, I don't know how I could even say this on the air without getting bleeped or kicked off or anything. But there's a guy who does these training sessions about cross-examination. And he's talking about these tricks that lawyers do to get people tripped up on the stand. Mm. He said they'll ask maybe the most ridiculous question ever. Number one, because the jury hears it no matter what. Right. And number two is because it elicits a reaction typically out of the person who's on the stand. Now, Coney Barrett did a great job at keeping her cool and answering the question in a, in a calm and decisive manner. But mm -hmm. the example that the guy uses in the uh, the the uh, le lecture right. is something along the lines of, 
isn't it true that you had relations with a chicken, you know? <laughs> and, and, and then if the answer is like, what? And you freak out on the guy, that's bad. And plus the, the jury hears it. So that's just an example. And excuse me for taking so long to come up with <laughs> that modified version. You know, I, I'm trying to be tasteful. It's a family show, isn't right. it? Really that's one of the questions, the chicken question you uh, use to screen most of our guests, actually, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I think that's the question that that senator asked before the video started right, right. <laughs> just jumping on the third rail that's right that's right now philly chris you had something very important that you brought up in jest here but i think that we've got to talk about it a uh, very serious issue regarding the emails why don't you give us a little bit of an update on that oh yeah sure yeah i've been uh, following that um here in the news a bit, and it's interesting because apparently Hunter Biden had uh, dropped his computer off for service at uh, you know retailer, and for whatever reason didn't come. So Hunter back. Biden, son of Joe Biden, right? Hunter Biden, son of Joe Biden, correct? Oh, is it the same guy? I didn't yeah. son of somebody. <laughs> I just thought it was a fluke or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, right? This is crazy, right? Like you know, we talked months ago about you know some things coming out, but it's interesting how this has uh, recently surfaced. So apparently he dropped it off didn't come back, you know, maybe didn't pay the bill. And then I believe the owner reached out to him, but in the terms and conditions of the agreement for dropping the uh, laptop off for service, it basically gets forfeited and becomes the property of the owner of that shop. So, and you were uh, telling me that that's standard for these types of industries, right? Didn't you yeah. years ago when you were, yeah, I worked, uh, you know, for circuit city back in the day and we had some situations yeah. like that back when they sold like that. rotary telephones, right? <laughs> yeah. Rotary telephones, <laughs> and we had those, uh, what were those thingies called the, um, Oh, eight tracks, the eight tracks, yeah, the, the, the black and white television, right, yeah, <laughs> those black discs that you could listen to music on those big black albums. Record player. That's funny. <laughs> right. But, um, so yeah, it's my understanding that that was kind of the process. So, and it's funny because I think they were trying to claim that he hacked into his computer. Well, technically it's no longer uh, Hunter's property because he forfeited it. And, you know, being a technical individual, the, the guy went into the computer, happened to see the emails. It's my understanding. He felt, you know, concerned for his safety and his family's safety, knowing that he had things in his possession that were of national interest, uh, national security interest, I should say. So he reached out to several uh, branches, you know, three-letter branches of the government, is my understanding, to try to report what he had in his possession. Um, nobody was getting back to him. Finally, one of those agencies requested the physical computer, which he turned in. And then he still never heard back anything. And when he tried to pursue it, he realized that they were just kind of stonewalling him. So it's my understanding before doing that, though, he had actually made a, a second copy, a hard copy of the hard drive, which isn't too difficult to do. So he had all of those emails in his possession and finally went to uh, Giuliani, who then reached out to the media uh, to, to share some of that. So, and I believe, you know, all the emails maybe haven't even been gone through at this point, but yeah, so there you go. That's what happens when you don't pay your bills and you leave uh, a trail of that type of stuff. So pretty interesting. Hey, Russ, you, you do a lot of great, uh, cool technical things for us here on the show. Uh, maybe you could elaborate on, on some of what I just went over, maybe the details of, of the copying of the drive and all. Well, from, from what I've heard, because I haven't looked into the story a whole lot, I've heard of it. And then what, from what you explained, essentially, um, he took it to a repair shop or a service shop of some kind. I assume he has an Apple computer, um, and it's not unheard of. For in fact, it's it's usually 
you know, standard procedure to make a backup of the customer's data in case uh, you have to wipe the the drive or if if you have to reset the computer, then you can you know, back it up and then restore it. Now, if Hunter never picked up his computer, never paid his bill, then yes, the computer is uh, forfeited and that's standard too. As far as the emails that were on it, um, I don't know how the Apple email client works or if, or, you know, what service he used, but I don't believe the emails were, uh, part of that package, to be perfectly honest. Um, but do you think he should have talked to Hillary maybe about? The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's an interesting but, thing. But, so I, well, you, he, Mike, you know, if you're not somebody who's so tech savvy, you wouldn't realize that uh, the without being in your email, that emails are still on the computer, right? Right. 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 Uh, I I don't I wouldn't but, have realized but, yeah, that. Well, so Hillary Mike, really yeah, knew what she was doing when she got rid of those. Right, right. Yeah. now, Mike, going back to your point where uh, somebody could ask a ridiculous question and the jury hears it no matter what, <laughs> whether it's you know ridiculous or poignant or whatever, um, we're still seeing Joe's e- or uh, Hunter's emails. So whether they were property of that repair shop or not. We're still seeing them. <laughs> yeah, and right. I, I yeah. don't. I haven't heard the authenticity of these emails being contested. Yeah, no. Has I, anybody else? Is anybody saying, "Oh no, that's these these emails are not real; they're just made up," or anything like that? I'm they also sure someone said, on the left is saying that somewhere. <laughs> well, because Joe Biden was saying that he was never introduced to anybody, and the emails are saying that. He sure well, did know, meet really, somebody, right? What's really concerning to me, Mike, and I think you just reminded me of something I wanted to mention when we were talking about this, is also the fact that a lot of the major um, you know, media platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that, they're censoring this. They're censoring this. That's story. right. Seen that? Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. Facebook, yeah. Twitter wouldn't even let uh, people tweet out the leak. So the, the link. So when the New York Post tried to tweet out the link, yeah, they physically weren't able to do it. They were banned from doing so. Um, really interesting stuff because you know Biden had they had maintained that he had never been involved in any of the business dealings, never met anybody. Email says that he did. And, you know, we see articles out of the Washington Post now saying Trump's fake new Biden scandal. Right. Uh, oh, no, right. no, no, no. Right. That's, that, that's <laughs> not real. Has anybody from the campaign said that that's not true, though? All I've seen them say is, well, you know, that if that, that meeting wasn't on his official schedule at the time. Right. Right. That, right. That's right. a very uh, that interesting kind of choice of words. Not it didn't happen. Not he wasn't there. Right. It's right. not on his <laughs> official schedule. That's yeah. like a very Bill Clinton type of way to. to yeah. But what's his phrase. schedule got to do with the price of eggs? Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So and if you're going to have that meeting and know what you're doing is, is probably not, you know, so on the up and up, you're probably not going to add it to your calendar. Right. And it says that uh, the man who found Hunter Biden's emails is a Trump voter. Oh, well, uh, well, you know, you know <laughs> he, he went back. He, he got a time be. machine. He had a time machine and went back and forced uh, Hunter to send these emails and set everything up because he's a Trump supporter. Right. You know, I'll tell you what, with all the suppression 
of this story and then just brushing it aside and trying to stop it from getting out there. I'm trying to find the email in question here and I can't seem to find it. How about you guys? I know we got three guys with computers here. I want to see who can come up with this email, who can find it. They're making it very difficult <laughs> to find it. Aren't <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've been looking while we were talking here just to pull some of that up. I saw a few things yesterday, and now when I go in and, and search for it, it's not readily coming up. So they are doing a good job, it appears, of, of suppressing it. Uh, even stories that are talking about it. So I see... A news story from a friendly source, but it's not like the emails right there, front and center. Right. So, I don't know. I did that. Always it's like they found some pictures on there too. I don't. Don't tell me your opinion about what you saw. Don't give me the the recap. I want to see hmm. the email itself. I just found. Uh, I, I I just found something I didn't see. Apparently, a video on the laptop shows Hunter Biden smoking crack during a specific act, um, according to a report. So that's interesting. So there's more than just emails. There's some videos and pictures. That, that's well. according to reports, right? You haven't, this, we haven't confirmed this yet, right? <laughs> we yeah, well, I, I, I wasn't there, but I heard it's true, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, you know what's crazy is that uh, with all these stories that these other uh, anti-Trump news sources put out it's always like okay well somebody right. who's close to the situation told his uncle who told his pet poodle who is told the groomer and the groomer <laughs> told my uh, right. friend from college and that's how i find, found out and that's supposed to be perfectly fine if it's an anti-trump story but this one apparently is, is not good enough to be putting out there i've got one over right. here on new york post nypost.com and it says, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father. And spent, it says spent and says spent, spend some time together. It's really an honor and pleasure. As we spoke yesterday evening, would be great to meet today for a quick coffee. What do you think? I could come to you office somewhere around noon or so before or on my way to airport best v so i think that's the one that everybody's been talking about right yeah that, yeah because biden that. said that he's never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings obviously mm -hmm. a lie if this email is correct and you know everybody knew that was ridiculous because biden was out there bragging about how he withheld a billion dollars unless they fired that prosecutor right yeah, yeah, we've all seen the video. Yeah, he's out there. It's fake. I looked at them and I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money." <laughs> and right. they're like, "Well, you can't do that." And he was like, "Call him. Call the president and see right. what he says." And right. and then he, when he's telling the story, he goes, "Well, son of a bee, he got fired." <laughs> so, and he's out there bragging about it. Does that not sound? Uh, pretty much like what they were accusing Trump of for the impeachment, no? I guess it's exactly the same, but totally different. <laughs> totally different because it really it. happened, right? No, <laughs> exactly. not right. in any yeah. sense of the you word, know. but essentially, yes. Yeah. But do you know what I'm saying, though? Is that they're accusing, oh, yeah. They yeah. were accusing Trump of 
you know, asking for some political favor in exchange for the aid and withholding the aid if he didn't get the political favor. And this seems to be exactly what happened over here. And he not only takes ownership, but he uh, brags about it to a bunch of people. And for some reason, that's okay. Democracy is is rampant and it happens on both sides. But I mean, you know, when you're the vice president and you're, you know, dealing with another country and so openly talking about it. But you know what I think makes me it makes me think is it just goes to show you that because he's been in politics, what is it, the 47 years? And I'm sure he's been doing little things progressively over time. And then he's just so comfortable that he announces to the world that he basically just got that prosecutor fired and withheld a billion dollars. So to him, it's not even abnormal. It's because he has the authority and power that he believes he has to do whatever, right? Yeah, it's kind of like what when Trump said something along the lines of, I could walk out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and people would still support me. Well, obviously he was joking when he said that, but uh, you know, with Biden, it's real. It's real that he believes he can get away with anything. Nobody's going to do anything about it. Or maybe yeah. he just forgot that he said it already. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's probably it. And actually, he could probably say that now. <laughs> For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G in the morning with The Law Matters. Only on Fox News Radio, WF. YL. You know, we got to talk about uh, the Second Amendment things that are going on in the two-way world because we don't want to be sent a bowl of mustard, do we, Philly Chris? <laughs> I like mustard, so if it's gourmet like that, that mustard you sent out recently to our kind listeners. Cats is mustard. Only <laughs> cats is mustard. I'll take a bowl of cats is mustard. If Ladies and gentlemen, part of today's episode has been brought to you by Cats Mustard. If you sit there and eat a bowl of mustard... Then I'll tell you what, you're just a mustard eating knucklehead. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Something just came out yesterday. Third Circuit Court of Appeals uh, ruling that basically the 302 involuntary mental health treatment system in Pennsylvania is not unconstitutional. There was a challenge against it. And I haven't been able to read the entire opinion yet, but it seems to reach that conclusion you really have to not understand the process of 302s. You you can't possibly understand that all it takes is an accusation and a doctor's signature, and there's no fact-finding process. There's no judicial review. It's just an accusation and a doctor's signature. And how is the doctor supposed to determine whether these accusations are true or whether any of this stuff actually happened? Mm-hmm. It, it's absolutely impossible for them to sit there talk to somebody for 15 minutes and come to a conclusion give that signature and impact the person's second amendment rights for the rest of their entire life you got to be kidding me right to say that that is a constitutional system it just leads me to believe they just don't understand it the court doesn't understand it and i've dealt with that i've uh, consulted on cases before the court of appeals in pennsylvania where you've got the panel simply saying well how how would this person not know that they were 302'd? Of course they knew they were 302'd. It just shows that they don't understand the process. They've got no hands-on experience with this process. It's not yeah. like you get something in the mail saying, oh, by the way, that hospitalization was uh, you know, qualified as a 302. It was uh, you know, marked did, did, down uh, as a 302. Did, did Russ ever tell you about the time he was 604'd? Russ, do you ever tell uh, us about that? Twi- twice, twice in the same day. Oh, no, yeah. You know, it's so hard for me to 
it's so hard for me to even joke about it because I've seen so many good, hardworking people over the years be chewed up and spit out by this system and have something that follows them for the rest of their life, not only for the purposes of firearms, but if you're a truck driver, it impacts you. Uh, You can't get a transportation worker identification card. And a big part of my practice over the last five or six years or so has been trying to get people free from these 302s that they've had on their record. That That's a big part of what we do. And for the court to say that uh, this is a perfectly constitutional system, it just leads me to believe that they're not getting the whole story. You're not getting something. You're not understanding something here. How could this possibly be constitutional? So i got to throw that in there. The John Doe case is, is what it's being called. What else do we got over here, Philly Chris? You want to go through a little bit of rapid fire? Yeah, Mike, you know, uh, one of the things um, you and I talked about a little bit off the air was the record setting numbers uh, on the background checks for for gun sales and and the carry permits. And I know you even have some personal experience with this because I I believe you've been having an uptick in folks reaching out, um, you know, regarding that process even, right? Uptick isn't isn't the word. You got people who don't know if they're eligible calling up for an eligibility investigation so we can make sure they're squared away before they... Uh, go ahead and go through the process because, as you know, if you answer any of those questions wrong and you're denied, it's very likely you're getting prosecuted with a felony because they're going to claim that you lied, that you intentionally provided right. false information. We've also had a lot of people get denied when they shouldn't have been denied, and we've been getting all kinds of uh, denials overturned through the challenge system. So a whole lot of that. The number that I heard was that September was the slowest month since February, since this all started, but even with it being the slowest month since February, it's the it was the busiest September of all time. <laughs> Think about that history, right? In yeah. all of history, the busiest September ever <laughs> was one of the slowest months of the year, the second slowest month of the year. Uh, wow! Absolutely crazy. The amount of new gun owners we're seeing, and the amount of <laughs> old gun owners just keeping up with it, right? It's Great. Yeah, but that's yes. pro- that probably that's li- got to be linked to the ammunition shortage as well, right? Have you tried to get any handgun ammunition lately? Well, you know, I have been out and in uh, a couple of stores I've been to did have some restrictions. You know, fortunately, I had uh, stocked up on it, uh, you know, back in in um, like December and January because I knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> just kidding. But, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's uh, what, what we're actually seeing now, um, you know, and and. You made me think of something that's real important, Mike, because I know I've been with you a bunch of times when you've even taken calls about these poor folks who have filled out the paperwork and then been denied and then they're facing, you know, felony charges. So why why isn't there, I don't think I ever asked you this, but why isn't there a way for law-abiding citizens to go in and do some sort of soft check or, or okay. verify that? You know what I mean? Why, why don't they have that? That makes too much sense, Philly Chris. Okay. Sorry. Dumb question. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. It makes too much sense, right? There's, there are, it's the same answer for a, a lot of perplexing things when you deal with the government, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah, definitely, definitely a big uptick on background checks and people stocking up on their firearms. Hard to keep them in stock. What else we got? 
Uh, let's see. How about the Second Amendment right is uh, not in jeopardy whatsoever. Um, oh, that's yeah. our, our buddy Joe Manchin said that, didn't he? Yes, that's right. I tell you what, I, I, I tend to like the guy for a Democrat. <laughs> 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 But I think that the lesson you need to learn about this, the the lesson we need to learn here is the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Mm. Wouldn't you say, Philly Chris? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Yeah. uh... And and to get complacent about our Second Amendment and to to say that there's nothing to worry about and uh, eh, we'll be fine either way. That's absolute nonsense. And that's a surefire way to lose our rights, isn't it? Yes, yes, definitely uh, something to be concerned about. And uh, another thing that we had listed here was the fact that in Pennsylvania um, in 2016, Trump barely won uh, Pennsylvania. The 2020 election may also depend on uh, uh, keeping us uh, as a swing state, although I don't think we'll have too much trouble with all the people we've been seeing coming out to to support him. But uh, since we are here in the Philadelphia area, Pennsylvania area, definitely important to keep that in mind because i think it was only like forty-four thousand vote difference in the state yeah yeah and people can't forget that pennsylvania had gone blue in presidential elections since either the 80 the late 80s i believe yeah it was like Uh the last time that the first time that hw bush won i believe was the last time pennsylvania voted red in a presidential election before donald trump so it's almost 30 years that they'd been Democrat for every presidential election. Uh, you can't forget about that. It could easily go back the other way. Right, right. And a lot of people seem to have a short memory when it comes to that. Uh, they mm-hmm. seem to think, oh, you know, we got this one in the bag. Anything but people need to get out there and they need to vote. But I don't at all think that it's a lost cause for Donald Trump the way the media would have you believe they the media would have you believe that he's got no chance of winning pennsylvania democrats would have you believe he's got no chance of winning pennsylvania this time around i don't think that's true Uh, but i think that people do need to show up and vote if it's going to happen i'll tell you this and this is something you're not seeing on the news in the last week or so i've seen two pop-up roadside sort of impromptu trump rallies going on and what I mean is just a bunch of Trump supporters, a bunch of people with flags and signs hanging out on the side of the road. Right. And uh, in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect. One of them was in Delaware County, right by my Havertown office. And that's pretty close to Philadelphia. And in recent memory, Del- Delaware County has turned Democrat. And first time in many, many years. And they made history by doing so. You wouldn't expect to see a pop-up Trump rally on the side of the road, but I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why they picked that area. You know, I actually was over that way not too long ago, and I did notice quite a few um, Biden signs uh, in the neighborhoods uh, in that area. So, yeah. So maybe maybe that's why. Could be. Interesting. So are you seeing a lot of Biden signs staying over in Delaware County or Montgomery County? Uh, yeah, I, I have seen quite a bit of that, you know, you driving have. through the, yes, yes, yeah. See, that, that's when you get further outside the city, it changes, but down close yeah. to the city, absolutely, yes. Because I'll tell you, Chester yep. County, uh, Lancaster County, 
certain parts of Northampton County, all Trump all over the place. And, yes. and I've seen even in the Lehigh Valley businesses putting out these big Trump flags, Trump signs, which you'd think, you know, you're going to eliminate a substantial portion of your customer base that way, right? Absolutely. If, you, if you're not in like the gun business or something like that, if you, <laughs> if you happen to be a deli and you're putting out Trump signs, you're going to have uh, a significant amount of people who decide I'm not shopping for you and that store should be closed down, right? Right, right. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting to see it. Bottom line is, and, people and, need to to get out and vote in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is going to be incredibly important this coming election. Absolutely. What else we got? Uh, what did, like this? Yeah. What did you think, Mike, of the uh, question? Um, uh, you know, when they asked Barrett uh, about owning a firearm, what, what, what were your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> da- I thought this is America. I thought this is America. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as if that's a bad thing, though, I mean, right. really, you're you're grown adult and you've made the decision to protect yourself and your loved ones. That's a bad thing. Should you be embarrassed of that? Should you be ashamed right, uh, of that? And, and I, I don't know how the Second Amendment has become so political over the years. The right to keep and bear arms. Could you imagine if they politicized any of our other rights this way? And they talk about voting and everything. They like will that. once they, they, they talk get rid to of the, the right to vote. Well, yeah, that's that's true too. That's true too. <laughs> but. You hear them talking about the right to vote with uh, such reverence and everything. It'd be nice right. if we could translate that to the Second Amendment. It just shows how full of baloney they are, though. That if you if you were yeah. to swap in guns for every time mm-hmm. they bring up the right to vote, then mm-hmm. it would make no sense coming out of their mouths, right? The right. Yeah. No, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Talking about felons. Yeah, right to vote they, they've paid their debt to society why should they not have the right to vote so let's swap that out right right exactly <laughs> swap it out. they paid their debt to society they should be able to own and 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 uh possess firearms they should be able to keep and and bear arms lawfully what do you think of that so it, it makes no sense they pick and choose there's no consistency there is there no, no, that's the problem we're seeing. And we're even seeing it now really with the First Amendment in a way, you know, like we talked about earlier with the social media platforms um, basically censoring things. You know, if they're going to, yeah, yeah, somebody was talking that's about That's a tough issue. one. I mean, because they, they are yeah, a private yeah. company. We give them so much power, though. That's the problem is that you know, not enough people have decided, you know what, I don't like what Twitter and Facebook are doing. True. So I'm going to walk away and I'm going to use something else. I'm going mm-hmm. to, you know, do my communications elsewhere. People haven't made that decision. Is it laziness? Because they are a private company, right? And mm-hmm. sure. unless they unless they're exclusively a traditionally public function, then you don't get constitutional protections. Let's keep in mind the constitution is in place to protect us from the government, right? Right. The government can't infringe on our right to bear arms. The government can't tell us. Uh, not to speak. It's, that doesn't have to do with private entities. And the case law puts private companies within this purview sometimes as they're carrying out what is traditionally an exclusively public function, meaning okay. traditionally only the government does this. But they, they can't 
tell Mike G that he's got to publish everybody's opinion, right? Somebody calls me up and says, I want you to read this love poem, The Socialism, that I wrote. I'd probably do it because it would be hysterical. What <laughs> idiot they are, right? <laughs> Let's all laugh at this dummy. Do it on the air. You but you can't force me to do it. You can't force me to do it and say, oh, well, if you don't read this on the air, you're violating my, my First Amendment right because yeah. we're a private organization. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I saw something today about this, and I want to look into it. Um, they were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, Facebook and these other media platforms may be crossing over the boundary or the line of being publishers when they're mm. starting to dictate the content and, um, I guess the legitimacy maybe of the content, you know, when they're saying it's not true. Interesting. So I, I, I don't know the details on it. Maybe we can talk more about it in future episodes, but it sounds like it could potentially open them up legally because it's sort of like a library, um, deciding, you know, which books to have or, or which books are going to be appropriate. And, and you know, you're, you're no longer just housing the information, but now you're becoming a, a publisher and an editor and things of that nature. So. Yeah, anytime you have something that's brand new, not only as a product, but like introducing a, a totally new concept to society, you're going to have these issues that arise. So right, right. be interesting how they shake out. That's all the time we've got for today, folks. Stick around for We the People, The Constitution Matters, Pastor David Whitney, Professor Phil Duffy. Thank you to our sponsors, Elite Tactical Armory, EliteTacticalArmory.com. We miss you, Ellie. Daddy loves you.